Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Church of Roy, an armchair all-American podcast. Warning, today's show may include adult language. And here are your hosts, Brian Wilcox and Steve DeWall. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of the Church of Roy podcast. The draft is right around the corner. I'm your host, Steve DeWald, Associate Editor of Blazer's Edge. I'm joined today by, by seriously one of the best people I've met in this business, someone I've known for a couple of years going back to the Nike Hoop Summit. Mikey Weisenberg, you are one of the best draft guys I know. You are an encyclopedia of knowledge. I think I know a little bit about the draft, and then I talk to you, and I learn 10 new guys. Mikey, how are you doing today? Steve, that introduction was far too kind, good sir. I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on Church of Roy. Um, been listening to you guys, and yeah, it, it's been fantastic meeting you and talking with you at these various events that we've been to. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little background on you. I, I believe I met you when you were contributing a little bit for uh, NBA draft.net. Now you've moved on yes, to sir. bigger, bigger and better things. You're... I, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Oh, well, but, I... Um, no, at the same time, I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah. I'm with uh, perspective insight now. Yep. I'm very happy with that. I think we have a great site. We have a great team. Mm-hmm. And we're releasing written content as well um, that I, I think is fantastic. Um, Henry Ward, Anish Namburi, Drake UU, of course, Matt McKay Jr. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, Tyler Glazier, Conrad Chow, like many names. I, I, yeah. I, I'm forgetting anybody. I apologize. But yeah, definitely check out Perspective Insight. And then I, I, for fun, I do a podcast with my brother, Jason Weisenberg, uh, called Weisland. And we like to talk about the draft and usually like hit it. Any players that we're talking about, we usually get them at like a development or like prospect level. So yeah, that's been a lot of fun as well. Seriously, a murderer's row that that you guys have over there. Also great draft people, but also just great people in general. Matt, it starts at the top. Uh, McKay Jr. is one of the the nicest guys I've met. We'll we'll take my calls and, and let's, me bounce random ideas off if you don't if you do recognize that name and you're a blazers fan 
he was a part of the Blazers front office when, when Rich Cho was here in Portland and he followed him to Charlotte. Um, excellent people. I, I just wanted to bring you in because I, it, Portland is in such a weird spot. I, <laughs> not, not withstanding everything that's going on, but just with yeah. the draft specifically. They enter the draft next week with no pick. We've kind of heard that they are going to be active from Jason Quick and the Athletic. We've heard some other reports, and just from Olshay's draft history, he has shown that he's willing to jump back into the action. He's this has happened two times before in the Blazers' history, where they under Olshay, where they enter draft night without a pick. They got in back in in 2016. They sat out the entire process in 2014. So. It'll be interesting to see what they do this time. But before we get to the Blazer stuff, I did want to touch on some names that we're hearing and some of the just like the typical stuff that we hear about draft classes. And I want to start at the top because usually with these drafts, you hear about the class in general. And usually, you know, is it a two-player draft? Is it a three-player draft? And this usually refers to that top-end talent, the real blue-chip guys that are there to change the direction, trajectory of a franchise so just looking at the top of this class, we know the name on top is Cade Cunningham. It's been there for a year. Who, how deep is this draft as far as the elite talent goes? For the longest time, it seemed like it was a, a list of five guys. I kind of feel like it's a list of four um, as far as the guys who I believe have the most star potential. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, Cade Cunningham is – I think most people would have him in a tier by himself. Yep. Um, but very closely after that, you have Evan Mobley, who would be the guy I would take second. <laughs> um, and then the the Jalen's, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, uh, in whatever order. I, mm-hmm. I still kind of prefer Jalen Suggs to Jalen Green. But um, yeah, it, I think those four guys are the most likely to reach that star potential and then I think the group after that is pretty good as well. Like I, I think there are four guys who are kind of like a tear down for me. And that would be Scotty Barnes, Jonathan Kaminga, Josh Giddy, and Moses Moody. That a little high on Giddy for, for from, from what I've read, and I respect your opinion. I, but yeah, I, I, it, and, I and, don't and, think he's necessarily going to be drafted at number seven. Yeah. But yeah. I think he may end up finishing around there. Like you and I both know, Steve, like every draft, yep. you're going to have guys that get drafted too low that, and, you know, players that you believe in and you're like, well, you should have taken this guy. Yep. Um, so yeah, like he, he could be one of those. Oh, we're, we're going to get to, we're going to have riff on that a little bit and touch on <laughs> oh, those guys here, here in a second, but I just want to return to the top. Now, obviously Evan Mobley, Phenomenal talent. Looks like that really next generation style big man can do a little bit of everything. Defensively, is he a guy that you think is can switch and stay on the floor? Like we saw that I think that was kind of the knock on DeAndre Ayton until this postseason of whether or not he was going to be this modern big and be able to can you have a traditional center that stays on the floor at all times? Do you see Mobley as a center and do you see him as a center who can stay on the floor in a playoff situation? You know, full stop. Hey guys, it's Perry here to tell you all about the brand new app we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Spotify Greenroom. 
Greenroom is a live audio-only platform that is free to download and super easy to use. You can talk to sports fans, insiders, athletes, and even executives all in real time. And hey, the Church of Roy will be there live bright and early on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app in the iOS or Android app store. Get it done, peeps. I think even better than that with Mobley is he can play either big spot. Ideally, I think he's a center. Mm-hmm. But yes, I, I do see him as being very switchable and like able, it's not going to be like, you know, his calling card to be out on the yeah. perimeter all the time, but he has that ability and he is like one of the, like the vision with Evan Mobley is seeing him as somebody that can kind of kill small ball lineups mm-hmm. and has um, the lateral ability and just the overall defensive awareness and the the mind to uh, really affect those small ball lineups and then on offense also, you know, uh, make his will felt as well. And I also know that, you know, this praise is probably very legitimate coming from you. I mean, you have a University of Oregon jersey hand sitting in the background for you to put heap this praise on a USC guy. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Oh, and the shirt. I, you know, it means something. So uh, I don't know if you saw what Evan Mobley did to Frank <laughs> in the NCAA tournament, but yeah. it was uh, it's should have been illegal in many states. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I I had a chance to see Evan Mobley play Oregon a few times this year, and um, the the quick decision making is something that you just notice with him. Like he, I think he's a fantastic passer. He has some ability to put the ball on the floor. the The strength is something that is going to need to be worked on, like many of uh, yeah. players in this rookie class and every rookie class, but. Yeah, I, I think Evan Mobley has a chance to be a pretty special big man prospect. Yeah, I, I think with with big men especially, there's always that little bit of learning curve on how to avoid foul trouble. You know, where's your sweet spot where you're trying to get? I want to get to the Jalens because I think they're the most interesting part of the draft for me. I'm Yes, I'm a huge Gonzaga guy, so obviously Suggs is near and dear to my heart. I Before we get into that debate, Let's touch on the two guys from the G League Ignite because uh, Kuminga and, and Green are two guys that, you know, the casual NBA draft fan is probably not going to know a lot about. Can you tell me a little bit about the path that they went down and, and the success? Is it viewed as a success now that we're kind of nearing the finish line here? And did it really boost these guys' draft stock comparatively to some of these other guys who went to college last year? I'm not sure if it boosted their draft stock, but it certainly didn't hurt it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, like you, you have, you had that cluster of five guys initially with Kaminga um, and K- 
Kaminga may end up going like six or seven at lowest, but to me, that's not like a huge failure or like a hit in the stock. And Jalen Green was always somebody who was ranked fairly highly, but like the likelihood of him beating out like a Cade Cunningham was always pretty low, um, considering everything else that Cade Cunningham does on the floor. Now, just about them as prospects, I thought Jonathan Kaminga kind of started off a little bit better. And then gradually, like Jalen Green just started to really get into a groove. The shooting was really working. He has fantastic burst. He's an excellent athlete. And then Kaminga is bigger, has some of that athletic ability as well, has some ball skills, has some passing ability. Um, but yeah, I just think in terms of how kind of, you know, the NBA is seeing it and um, and also like Kaminga's shooting struggles, that, that's where Jalen Green kind of surpassed him as a prospect. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, I think you just have a more clear vision of Jalen Green being like this potentially fantastic scorer at the next level. Okay, so uh, getting back to just the two Jalen. So we have Jalen Suggs, you know, big man on campus at Gonzaga, you know, took them all the way to the, to the final step, fell short once they got there, which we're going to get to the guy who led that charge a little bit later. But you have Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green. I, you know, coming out of the NCAA tournament, I think Suggs was far and away, at least most mock drafts had him, you know, number two in a lot of these. We've seen, as we get closer to draft night, it's a toss up and I see Green ahead of Suggs in a lot of situations. Is it more of just what a team is after? Because how I view it, I think Green is being kind of projected as the guy who might have the higher athletic upside and Suggs might be more of that combo guard who can who can lead an offense and hit big shots but might not have quite the ceiling like a Ja Morant type ceiling that Jalen Green might have am I am I reading that right or what's your interpretation between yeah I, I think that's a, a very good take on it Steve and um also Suggs is nine months older than Jalen Green <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> getting into to that stuff too but they are very different I, I think just in terms of like burst and uh, ability to create separation and, and maybe even like ability to create in the half court. That's where Jalen Green might have the advantage. Mm -hmm. um, I think in terms of just like basketball IQ, passing, like his crazy defensive instincts at times yeah. as well. Uh, to me, that that's what makes Jalen Suggs like a potentially really impressive player. I, I And then I think the fact that Jalen Green ends up shooting like close to 37, 38% from three in the G League, like from NBA yeah. range. Um, I, I think maybe that like that shooting projection, I, I think probably is another factor in what might give him the edge and what likely has him going higher on draft night. Now, just from the G League perspective, now the, the reputation at least from from what I remember as far as that league goes overall, is it's more of a guard-driven league. It's a little bit harder for the big men to catch up just how the pace of play is there and the style of play. Do you think that still is the case, and do you think Jalen Green maybe benefited a little too much? Like you said, he's shooting from NBA, NBA range, and he's you know playing against you know professionals or borderline fringe NBA guys. So do you think that boosted his stock – like arbitrarily or, or do you think it actually really 
set him up for success in the NBA? I think jury's still out as far as NBA yeah. success, but yeah, like I, I think it certainly helped. And as far as boosting his stock, like he yeah. finished as yeah. I think the third ranked guy in the RSCI and he's going to be drafted like two or three. Or he might've even finished above Evan. So yeah, like he's right around the spot where he was supposed to be going. Um, so yeah, I, I think, uh, as far as the G League being like kind of like guard centric and everything like that, like I'm I'm not sure if that really like was what led to Jalen Green like being yeah. considered the the level of prospect he is. But he did what he had to do. Yeah. Oh yeah. He he looked good doing it, and uh, yeah, like I, I I do like we have really an incredibly limited sample size of players <laughs> who have gone right from the G League to the NBA. Yeah. And very few of them have been successful. This is the first time, like, a, you know, top five or a couple, like, top five level guys go to the, the G League. I think they both did a good job. Just one, I think you have a, a much clearer vision on than the other. All right. So I, I think that pretty adequately covers the top of the draft. And I, where I want to get the Blazers back involved in this discussion is comes back to this report from Jason Quick earlier this week saying that teams are calling the Blazers and take sources for what they will, that they're offering lottery picks, a potential lottery pick to the Blazers for CJ McCollum. Obviously on paper, that doesn't really line up with the timeline the Blazers are going to try to be on, but let's say, I don't think it's a top four pick. I think it might be more late lotto at the top of this draft. Who were the most NBA ready guys that you see, you know, we've talked about the top four or five guys in that next group, who are the guys that are most likely to come in? It might be a very specific role that they play, but who's ready to hit the ground running in the NBA in that section. Yeah. Just in terms of late lottery, um, thinking about that, I think Moses Moody is somebody that I like just in terms of the fact that he, I thought he had a really good freshman season. He, he did kind of struggle in the NCAA tournament. And that is of course what a lot of like, you know, the kind of late to the game draft people will, will look at, but he, uh, he had a fantastic free throw rate. He did show at least some shooting acumen um, physically, like, you know, the plus seven, like over seven foot wingspan, eight foot nine standing reach. So really great size for a wing. Um, he's somebody that I, he's not the best athlete, but he, he's somebody that I feel will eventually adapt on like both sides of the ball and be able to, to be a, at least a rotation player. Um, and then I think James Booknight is, I, I'm, I've seen him kind of all over the place as far as like being maybe like even up to like seven to, you know, like, I don't think he gets out of the lottery, but if he does make it to the late lottery, he's somebody that. While I'm kind of still a little skeptical, you know what he's going to do well, and that's score. Um, he's a great cutter. He has shooting potential. He didn't shoot exceptionally well, but he had, like, a really high burden as far as being, you know, just the driver of the offense for UConn this season um, and has that athletic ability. Um, so, yeah, he's somebody that, again, you can, like, see that role and – see that ability right away and uh those are a couple guys that i think 
should translate pretty quickly. Now, now before our listeners turn this off, I, I know that we just brought up two guards, but we want to be very clear that both of these guys are bit they're bigger guards. They like like Mikey touched on, you know, big wingspan on Moody. Buknai is another guy who's six five, I believe six five with shoes on, I believe is what he measured at. So yeah, somewhere around there. So these are bigger guards. They do have more of that two way potential. Um yeah. now I just kind of – I have this sneaky suspicion of the teams that might be calling the Blazers potentially for C.J. McCollum. And this – I have – this is no source. No, this is just me looking at those teams kind of in that range. The team that stands out to me in that group is the Spurs because they could potentially – we've heard earlier in this offseason that they're willing to move on from Derek White and DeJounte Murray if the right offer comes along. So – can you swing a deal that maybe is one of those guys a pick for a package from the Blazers that's led by CJ McCollum? Now, if you're landing in that, you know, 10 to 13 range, there's a couple guys that stand out for me. And one is if they get back in at 11, I'll be damned if they pass on another guy named Mitchell here from Baylor had this, you know, a long career at Baylor really turned it on this last season uh, and really jumped into the conversation. What's your take on him? And do you think typically, you know, by the book, how we look at this stuff is when a guy makes a leap there at the end, the common knock on them is, well, how much more room do they have to grow? How much more upside is available there? What's mm-hmm. your view on Mitchell's upside and what he looks like as a prospect and his ability to maybe come in the league and make, an impact in a, in a, not a feature role, but like a tertiary role that early in his career. Yeah. See the difference between this Mitchell and the other Mitchell, I think are a lot more immense than kind of want to believe. Um, They, they look at them and they both were 45. They both are D Mitchell. Uh, They're both, you know, really solid athletes. One is six foot two with like a six foot ten wingspan, yeah. and one is barely six one with a six four wingspan. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. th- there are lots of other differences there as well. Uh, I, like to me, I feel like Davion's rise is maybe a little bit much. Mm-hmm. Um, there, he improved a great amount this year. But still was, I believe, like a sub-20% usage guy. Yeah. Um, and then for as well as he shot, like, he, and he shot well off the dribble, he shot well off the catch. But then you factor in his previous seasons, he still ends up being like a 32% three-point shooter during his college career. Do you just go with that last season? <laughs> yeah. It's a little concerning. Is a great athlete, has some burst, doesn't get to the free throw line. What's the deal? Shoots 64% from there. Um, and then it really improved as a passer. So you've got the improvement as a passer. You have his defensive ability, but he's a tiny dude. Yeah. And like, it's going to be, if you're playing him with Dame, you're going to have two really small guys once again. It's, it's the same problem over. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and if you have this idea where, you know, he can be like this super sub, that that's great, but is that the guy that you want to kind of you know swing for at number like twelve if you get this first pick? Um, 
I do love the idea of like either like a Derek White or DeJounte Murray. I like oh, that. Yeah. yeah. Like to me, that that's one of the best case scenarios for like a CJ McCollum trade where you could get somebody there. I'm just, I'm still a little concerned. Like I, I'm, a, I, I think as you can see a little lower on, on Davion Mitchell. Like yeah. another thing that just got brought up today, like that is, I think something that you also need to factor in and another possible red flag, his rebounding rate which you don't really think about that for a guard, but like that nose for the ball. And well, I we, guess that like kind of like athleticism, uh, th- those are things that I, I really like to factor in with prospects as well. Well, we've seen it here it, since the trade deadline. I mean, Norman Powell is a guy who will mix it up on the inside and fight for those rebounds. And it was very obvious comparatively to what CJ McCollum does in, in a lot of those situations where, Norm really does mix it up. And I think it's important when you talk about Mitchell is if the plan is to retain Norman Powell, a player like Mitchell, if that is, and this is all purely hypothetical that they're trading in a hypothetical trade into the lottery. It doesn't allow Norm to, to shift back to his natural position, which brings me to the next guy I want to talk about and, or two guys. And I'm going to sound like a Homer because they're both Northwest guys, but I believe Corey Kispert can do exactly what he did in college in the pros as far as it's a no frills Duncan Robinson like role where you know he's a floor spacer can do a little little bit of everything played a lot of different defensive alignments and a lot of different assignments at Gonzaga some great some not so great (laughs) so I mean he definitely got torched in that Baylor matchup just too physical um, and then also, you know, your guy from, from Oregon, Duarte is, is flown up draft boards and he's mm-hmm. one of the older prospects in this pro in this process who these are two players that I can kind of wrap my head around that could fit on the timeline. Again, I am not advocating that this is the Avenue that the Blazers take to appease Damian Lillard, but what's your take on those two guys? And do you see them being able to you know, hit the ground running like a like a Harrow or a Duncan Robinson or some of these floor spacers we see come in. They they can play a specific role. And to a lesser extent, I mean, he's been in the league for a little while, but Mikhail Bridges with the Suns. These guys came in and, and did a specific role. I'm not saying they're the same, but but they came in and played a very specific part in their team's success early in their career. Hey guys, it's Pear here to tell you all about the brand new app we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Spotify Greenroom. Greenroom is a live audio-only platform that is free to download and super easy to use. You can talk to sports fans, insiders, athletes, and even executives all in real time. And hey, the Church of Roy will be there live bright and early on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app in the iOS or Android app store. Get it done, peeps. Yeah, like, I I think you see with the Suns, the value of having a couple guys that are playoff rotation level guys mm-hmm. on rookie contracts. And I, I think that's kind of the upside there with uh, Corey Kispert or Chris Duarte. Um, Kispert is a fantastic shooter. Um, really improved in terms of like even taking advantage of, you know, smaller defenders and uh, d- thrives in transition. Um, I, I I do feel like in the final four, he was somewhat exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm still not exactly sure, like just how quickly he hits the ground running in the NBA. And uh, one other thing is like the Joe Harris comparisons get brought up all the yeah. time. 
Well, we saw what Joe Harris did when Brooklyn played Milwaukee. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, So you kind of worry, like, you know, if Corey Kispert's not really shooting, like, do we want him on the floor? Um, But the, it seems the chances are he's going to shoot very well. Mm. Um, With Chris Duarte, yes, the the age was brought up every game he played. Um, He is going to be, he's already 24. The draft is just around the corner. Um, But I think the odds are that Chris Duarte, to me, seems like a pretty plug-and-play guy. Um, Just he does have, like, similar to, like, a Davion Mitchell. He he has better indicators, but he improved, like, a great deal from his junior year to his senior year uh, as a shooter. But, um, yeah, like, the size advantage is, of course, like, Duarte is around six foot six. I always thought he had a plus wingspan. He might not even like, it's kind of like Kispert maybe, yeah. but he's, he's a good defender. He has great instincts on that side of the ball. Um, so yeah, he, he is somebody like if, if you're drafting somebody who's 24 years old around lottery range, he better contribute. Right <laughs> yeah, exactly. Resorte is, is somebody that I, I think has a chance to do that. Like, I, I think he's somebody who could, possibly get rotation minutes right off the bat and like played the two or the three. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and that's looping into what, what I want to touch on before we shift to the second round for the second part, second half of the show is of those lottery or let's go after pick four, someone between four and the end of the lottery, who's someone that's going to get selected in there in your, in your eyes that you would say, if you had to bet on, that's going to outperform and maybe push to be the second or third best player in the entire class. When we look back at it five years from now, who's that player in that range for you? You might've hinted at it early in the show, but, but who's that player for you that, that is primed to exceed expectations. This is just like straight up after four. Yeah. Four, uh, four, four to the, four to the end of the lottery. Okay. Uh, Sky bars. Okay. I, I love him. Yep. Uh, I, I don't know. You, you and I had the chance to yep. see him. Um, he is somebody that I've always been just very high on. I, I had a chance to see him as a sophomore and just, you know, the measurement, the um, defensive ability, like an intensity on that side of the floor. Um, he, like the shooting has always been juries out. I feel like it, at least it looked better. It's improved. But yeah, you have the size there, like close to a seven foot three wingspan. Somebody who's six foot eight, uh, nine foot standing reach, like that's just under center yeah. size basically. Um, and he was somebody that I felt kind of played out of position for most of the season at Florida State. He was playing point guard, which is one of the reasons why I think he had kind of like a lower rebounding total. Um, but was asked to do a lot, like in terms of different defensive assignments. He's a fantastic passer, but that's something that he's always had. He can put the ball on the floor. Um, and then that, like, I know he takes a while to load and like his people for the longest time were saying like, he can't jump, but he had like a 36 inch standing vertical. Like, so he like clears the vertex, like from a standstill. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential there. And I just think there's a really great chance that he's like, this fantastic complimentary like forward. Yeah. I, I remember when we went out to the Les Schwab invitational, when they were there 
and he was on the same team as Vernon Carey Jr. And I was there to watch Vernon Carey Jr. Here's this kid who's committed to Duke. You know, this is the guy I'm here to watch. And very quickly, I, I think I, w- I was talking to you about it, and you're like, you're going to end up falling in love with Scotty Barnes. A- and absolutely I did. I think even at the high school level in this, in this very – I mean, just a loaded field of talent, he guarded one through five in that tournament. I mean, it, when Vernon Carey Jr. <laughs> fell off on the defensive end, it was Scotty Barnes that picked up the assignments. And that really did transfer to Florida State. And if you follow my draft coverage, I got absolutely torched because I was super low on both Florida State guys last year. And yeah. and Patrick Williams was, you know, I think he's going to be a star in this league. So I, I am definitely learning from my mistakes. But Scotty Barnes was a guy I, I really liked yeah. going into college. And I do. I agree. I think he's someone you can plug in. He can always be on the floor. He's going to find a way to be useful on the offensive end. Like you said, when he gets into more natural role for him outside of Florida State where he's not having to set the table for everybody in a lot of situations. I, I'm excited to see him. For me, we already kind of talked about him. I think – I mean, he's super late. He's late lotto, but I think Duarte is the guy here where I think people are going to get too scared of his age and they're going to – it's going to be one of those situations like bam out of bio or and not from the age thing, but just how do we not pick this guy earlier? Mm-hmm. And I've been critical of ducks players in the past as they've gone to the NBA, but I think Duarte, like you said, yeah. a legit two way guy on the wing. And those are in such demand that his ceiling might not be as high as some of these guys, but I could see him being the third, fourth best guy on a really good team, you know, three, four years from now. Yeah, and as far as not being high on Ducks players, I'm hoping Peyton Pritchard changed your mind. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and then with – yeah, like with Duarte, I, I I can kind of see that. Like, yeah, he – I think best case scenario, like he, he is one of those kind of guys. And, uh, yeah, he I think he's a little different from a lot of the players that we've had in the past. Like he, he was just a fantastic get for Oregon. I think he's going to be become the player that Dylan Brooks thinks he is. So that, <laughs> that's friendly fire yeah, right there. Brooks can just average 25.8 points per hey. game in his first playoff series. Hey, I think <laughs> Dylan Brooks thinks he's way better at defense than he is. I think being loud and being a good defender are two different things. Let's give DB some props here. Yeah, okay. All right. Especially, especially as a second round pick who like yeah. vastly outplayed where he was drafted. All right. That that's a that's an off this is an off season conversation that we can we can get we can we can do the 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 mighty Joe Young uh Exodus podcast. So hey, I was hoping to see Joe Young yesterday when I went to that Ducks Always Us game and he, he unfortunately is not part of the team. So. Bummer. Uh, Bummer. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the first round. For the record, I don't buy into the the some of the light rumors that we've heard that the Blazers are going to get back into the first round I think just the asking price is too high the assets that the Blazers do have should probably be used for you know an established player if they are going to put them on the table as we look to the second round I think the Blazers definitely get back in here there's a lot of teams with multiple picks Oklahoma City I believe has four they have three in the first 15 and then they have one at the tail end when I looked at this second round group, not only are the Blazers traditionally pretty good at identifying players in this range, 
but there's, I think there's a lot of guys who can come in and they're not going to be starters. They're not going to be, you know, game changers. I mean, unless someone vastly overachieves, but there's roles here. And the Blazers are in such a poor salary cap situation that they're going to need a couple guys at the end of the bench that aren't getting paid a lot and are going to need to pay, you know, play maybe five to 10 minutes when we're in, you know, the heat of the season. So overall, how would you looking at the second round from a talent standpoint, is this considered a deep draft as we get into the second round or is this a relatively shallow draft as we, as we get past that first round? I think like every draft, there are going to be guys there that, you know, you are willing to bet on and you'll at least have some interest in and um, like the odds of them, uh, as you mentioned, like the odds of them coming in and having a role right away. Like, you know, even like Gary Trent Jr. Like took a while to, to get going. Um, but yeah, like th- there are some possibilities there of some players that you're, you're really happy about in uh, a, a year or so, or, you know, um, yeah, like, I, I think, and like a lot of like good wing bets too. Yep. And that's kind of what I wanted to get into is there's a lot of guys that are, are play at premium positions or positions that we typically see teams fork over a lot of money for down the road. I mean, you got to think just from Blazers terms, not from their current roster. This is a team that spent a full mid-level exception to get Derek Jones Jr., a guy who developed in the G League that could wasn't drafted but could have been in the second round. Uh, same with Robert Covington Jr. These guys developed well outside the first round, undrafted. And, you know, later on, teams are paying a premium to get these guys on their roster. If you, Obviously, if you can develop these guys in-house, it completely resets the table as far as asset management for your franchise. Yeah. So a few guys that have caught my eye are Joe Weiskamp. I, I was – floored by the numbers he put up at the combine like he just doesn't strike me as someone who had that those physical gifts just from the type of player he was at Iowa you know I just figure you know this is a traditional catch and shoot guy floor spacer not going to be an elite athlete where he finished near the top of the entire class outside so what's your take on why wise camp and who's some of these other guys on the wing that have kind of caught your eye that you could see potentially fitting in Portland's plan or a reason for them to get back into the draft. Yeah. We a good one. Um, it, especially with the fact that he is like that fantastic shooter, but he can do a little bit more and you know, he's not necessarily known as the best defender, but he has some pretty good size. I, I'm not sure like, the thing with NBA athleticism testing is you never really know. And like, you don't necessarily see, I think the reason you didn't think of him much more as like a catch and shoot guy or like, I, and he's somebody that I think, you know, can create some pull-ups and, and do stuff like that. But you didn't see him like, you know, making these amazing like uh, acrobatic finishes around the basket. And when you mentioned like Iowa against Oregon, he was probably one of those guys you're like, oh yeah, like the athleticism wasn't necessarily there. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like he, he's somebody that I just think was pretty much undervalued for most of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that the combine kind of gave him a, a little bit of boost because he's like, I think a legitimately good player and uh, has a chance to be a pretty valuable uh, wing archetype and just is uh, with his shooting ability and his um, you know, ability to be like somewhat of like a tertiary playmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, a few that 
I kind of have thought about just as, as possible second round values. I still like Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And um, he is somebody that I just think he, he didn't shoot very well this year, but he did a lot of other things very well. He's always been a, a great communicator, like just had, had a good basketball IQ, was a really good passer. Um, and I, I, I think he's likely going to be a, a much better shooter than what he showed uh, during his time at Villanova. But um, yeah, he, he's somebody that I think, you know, might go quite a bit lower than he, he possibly should. Um, and then a couple others are Aaron Henry from Michigan State, who I think is like a fantastic defender, was a really good passer as well. The shot is, of course, the big swing skill with him, but I, I think he was kind of playing over his head this year for Michigan State and uh, could be a really good complimentary piece. And Kessler Edwards is another player who just like really knows what he does well on the floor. Um, his three-year sample size at Pepperdine, he shot close to 40% from three. Um, so I think shooting should be very much in his wheelhouse. I, I know he has kind of like a, not the most aesthetically pleasing shot, but yeah. I, I think it, it should be something he's able to do. And then makes like fantastic defensive rotations, has some versatility on that side of the floor. So um, yeah, he's somebody that like could possibly even sneak into like the late first round, but he's a second rounder that I, I think the Blazers should look at if they were, uh, I, I'm guessing probably like buying a pick like uh, yeah. they, back in the day. Yeah. I would, I would assume it's going to be a combination of maybe a future second rounder and, and some cash kind of that, that was basically the package they used to get in to get Jake Lehman a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Kessler Edwards is someone I had on my list. Like you said, not not the most pleasing shot to look at, but it's very effective. And I really just go back to the conversation I had with the IMG coaching staff. One of the first, really, like after I said it, I was like, oh, I totally get why I shouldn't ask this question. But I asked the coach, you know, did you ever try to change Anthony Simon's shot? Because he does have that more right in front of his face shot where it's not that real high release. And he, mm-hmm. he basically just looked at me and said, you know, it's going in at a 45% rate. I'm not going to touch it. So Kessler Edwards definitely falls into that. The other thing that I find interesting about him and typically with West coast conference players is when you're a good player in that conference, other teams really load up against you and you're on the scouting report and Kessler Edwards played both perimeter and in the, like his role kind of shifted a little bit at Pepperdine. Like he played on the inside and outside. So I think he he knows what it's like to be on a scouting report. Yes, it's against lesser competition, but I think that is one of the things we see rookies typically struggle to deal with. Like you can tell when a player pops up on a scouting report for the first time. Like we've seen it here in Portland specifically with Anthony Simons where, you know, he gets a hot streak and then all of a sudden, you know, he's in the notes on a scouting report and it kind of changes. I think you could take away what Kessler Edwards wants to do and he can still find a way to be effective. And I think he's not going to be a, a player that changes the course of your franchise, but I think he's going to be a very useful pro player. The, the other guy, I mean, as far as, as Earl goes, the Villanova guys, that's exactly who you want to bank on right now in yeah. this range. I mean, we've seen them really pay off value-wise from where they're selected. Uh, the other guy I'm kind of curious about, he missed the NCAA tournament, is Isaiah Livers. I, I think he's very consistent. I think he does have some athletic limitations. I wonder, he's kind of in that that zone where 
I don't think he's fast enough to guard NBA small forwards that are explosive, and I don't think he's big enough to guard power forwards. What's your take on him, and where do you see him as he goes into the pros, or is he just kind of second-round fodder? I He was always a guy that I, I really liked as well, and I, I, I think just kind of fell off the face of the earth due to the fact that, you know, he um, got hurt and missed the NCAA tournament. And Michigan still had, like, a pretty good run without him. Like, I, I – I, I, I was kind of banking on Michigan maybe being one of those, like, upset specials without Isaiah Livers. But, yeah, like, you know, they were a great team. Um, but, yeah, I, I see the concerns there as well, Steve. Um, I, I think he is kind of, like, as much as tweener doesn't mean the same thing anymore, it, there are definite concerns about, you know, the quickness and the size. Um, but he seems like somebody that I think would be, like, a really – good like two-way possibility and um i i could still see him getting drafted as well just because you know he is he was always like a, a really good defender he shot really well um so yeah he, he somebody that I, I think also like knows who he is and uh that that's somebody that i think you're looking for if you're the Blazers have been like desperately looking for like those forwards to come in off the bench and and give a little little pep in their step so yeah we'll uh we'll see if livers yeah. is uh somebody that they're looking at so finally the last second round guy i've looked at and i want to get your take on it because i think i might have drank too much kool-aid on this guy in the last 48 hours get his numbers are insane he is a crazy athlete at a position where the blazers i think are going to address is in their bench center spot i do not think ennis Cantor is going to be back i i don't think harry giles is going to be back obviously zach collins that looks like the, that ship has sailed with the Blazers as well. Jericho Sims out of Texas. Okay. He is – he look, he's not going to fool you on the offensive end. He is a rim runner. But really, Chauncey Billups, what we do know about his coaching style, is he can just talks about talks about role guys and what he did with Zubach last year. And I'm not saying that Zubach is like a prototypical role guy. But Jericho Sims, Texas center, got hurt a couple times through his career in Texas really came on the, the last year, as far as just a shot blocker, just a very traditional center. I love him for the Blazers and I don't think he's going to play right away. Cause I think he's the type of guy who's going to be a foul magnet in the NBA for early in his career. But what's your take on him as far as athletically where he stacks up with some of these second round centers? Yeah. Well, athletically, he obviously is, freaking insane mm -hmm. um but I, I i had a stat that uh <laughs> i thought was was kind of interesting here so first off he measured at like insane vertical number but his standing reach was complete bullshit uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not no no you're, you're good you're okay. good um yeah his standing reach wasn't wasn't real nonetheless we've seen the video of him hitting his eye on the rim like the guy's always been an insane athlete and then the other amazing thing that he did during his time at texas like when he was a senior in high school i think he was like sub 200 pounds i, I remember going to adidas nations and he blocked deandre ayton at the rim there and you're like damn like this is a kid to look out for um i just didn't really feel like he got much better on the offensive end mm -hmm. he did get a lot like way stronger so he, he ends up being like 250 so the fact that he's jumping like he is at 250 still like that's crazy um but 
But yeah, I have a stat that uh, a guy that is at least similar athletically from like being a big and like having somewhat similar, um, I guess, height, wingspan, standing reach numbers, uh, Kenny Wooten. Kenny Wooten, during his freshman season, blocked 92 shots in 711 minutes. (laughs) Jericho Sims, during his four years at Texas, in 2,441 minutes, blocked 93 shots. <laughs> so, like, I, I, and I know, like, blocking shots, not the end-all be-all as far as defense is concerned. I'm just kind of wondering, like, a guy who's that athletic, like, you know, maybe, like, why he didn't block a few more shots. Mm-hmm. But still, like, you know, you have, like, that defensive potential, the, the guy who can be the, an energy big off the bench and, like, you know, it would just be to be that defender to get rebounds and to rim run. Um, so yeah, he, I, he's another like player that I, I feel like he's done enough to get drafted, but I, I would kind of think about him in like that two way uh yeah. range as well. Okay, I and I think that is, I, I don't think he's a, a player you're going to see a lot from right off the bat, but I think developmentally. I think he can do a lot of things really like, I think he can do useful things in the NBA as far as a rim runner and someone you just put in that can stay on the floor defensively. Um, yeah. And that, and he did that to a great extent in Texas this year as well, who was a very fun team. So before we get out of here, I, I got to ask you, the Olympics are here. I am very bummed that, that team Canada is not, not in here. And I, you know, I got to ask you. <laughs> so so how disappointing is it uh, i mean as, as someone from canada uh, to to be in this situation and, and you know this is supposed to be kind of the golden generation for canada basketball yeah do you think it still is do you think you know how much of a setback is this so what i what i was saying like I, I'm guessing I, maybe I even said this in like 2016. I was like 2016, like make the Olympics and like 2020, like maybe like possibly medal. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also look at a lot of players on, on uh, the team and, and they are still younger. Like Shay just finished like his third season in the NBA. Jamal Murray is still pretty young. Both of those guys weren't quite hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the guys that you ultimately wanted running your team weren't there. Um, and I like, yes, it's, it's devastating not only to have like the Olympic qualifier in your home country, which yes, like I'm sure no Canadians were there to see it, but, (laughs) uh, it was in, it was in Victoria. Um, and yeah, just to, to lose in the fashion that they did, but I like, it was always something where they were building more down the line it's just it's it's pretty crazy that the last time canada made the olympics was uh australia in 2000 that's crazy and they they didn't medal there either they had played really well but i think they lost to like france in like a semi-final or, or something like that and ended up not meddling but steve nash was like just crazy a, a, a guy who i think got real minutes on that team was uh rj barrett's dad rowan barrett mm. and um yeah i 
I think there are better days ahead for Canada basketball, but yeah, at this point they just seem cursed. Like, cause yeah. 2016, I think was kind of a, a really similar thing where they lost to Venezuela and it, it was, uh, yeah, it's been pretty devastating to be a fan of Canada basketball. I, I, I still yeah. think, I still think the, the best days are ahead too, obviously. I, I mean, you got, like you said, Jamal Murray, Shea, they're both young. They both weren't playing. Yeah. And then also, you know, you have RJ Barrett. And I really draw a lot of comparison to a different sport as far as Team USA missing the World Cup in soccer when it, you know, it's Christian Pulisic. Kind of that, that's the year you want to see him kind of get in, get his feet wet, because maybe down the road, you know, that experience is really going to pay off. And I think that's where this is going to hurt Canada is when they do make it in 2024, hopefully. They 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 miss this learning opportunity for this high stage of a yeah. And, competition. And not only were like they missing because at this point, like Canada should be having to cut NBA players, but mm-hmm. that, the thing is getting all of them together. Like they didn't have Dylan Brooks, they didn't have Chris Boucher. Um, yeah, like the, there were some really valuable players that they were missing. You just thought they had enough. Like, you know, they had RJ. They Andrew Wiggins made his Canada basketball return. It had been quite a while. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker was playing pretty well. Um, yeah, like, the I, I don't think the point guard situation, like, I, I think it was pretty much like Corey Joseph. And, uh, you know, that, that was pretty much it as far as NBA point guards are concerned. But, uh, yeah, it just uh, the other thing I, I realized is, that a naturalized citizen of the Czech Republic, Blake Schlib, um, <laughs> annihilated them. Like that—that that was the thing. Like he yeah. killed them. And uh, yeah, like you know, maybe we want to get one of those. We always thought about Matt Bonner being like the naturalized. Uh. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he was pushing for it for a really long time, and it just never happened. So uh, yeah, that—that that could be fun too. Who knows? All right, Mikey, where can our listeners find you? Uh, where can they find your podcast and, and what's your Twitter handle? Let's, let's make sure they're, they're headed their way because your way, because like I said, you're one of my favorite people to bounce ideas off of as far as the NBA draft goes, you are an insane wealth of knowledge and you always teach me correct pronunciations of player names, which I also appreciate. So, <laughs> uh, well, Steve, first off, thank you so much for having me on church of Roy. Um, you can find me at NBA Draft Mikey V on Twitter, uh, also at Viseland on Twitter. We're available on YouTube, on every podcast platform. Uh, so yeah, and um, my brother's Twitter handle at Jay Weisenberg. Find my work. Also, I, I went to Pangos uh, All American Camp uh, last month, and it was fantastic. I wrote a huge article about some of the top players from there, um, some future NBA draft prospects. And that is on Perspective Insight. You can find them at, I believe it's underscore Pro Insight, but Mm -hmm. if you type in Pro Insight or perspectiveinsight.com, it'll take you there and read the bevy of content we had. I I also was part of an NBA draft roundtable, but yeah, we have some fantastic young basketball minds there. Um, And of course, Big shout out to Matt McKay Jr., who mm-hmm. has been uh, uh, somebody that I love bouncing ideas off of and um, just a great knowledge and uh, really starting something off great there. We also have a Q&A series that we do and uh, Pro Insight has a, a YouTube channel as well. So yeah, 
th those are uh, places to find my work. And uh, once again, thank you so much, Steve. Yeah, and, and for real, check out the the Q and A sessions too. Like I, some of the first times you're going to see a lot of these prospects that are on their way to the NBA. It, is yeah. is right there, and they're super insightful. It's fun to see these kids as they're kind of realizing where their trajectory is headed and and how they view the game. It's really cool to watch. Um, everybody, that's all we have for you. Make sure you tune in for the draft next week. I'm going to have a bunch of content leading up to Thursday on Blazer's Edge, and we'll be back on our normal time slot on Wednesday. So thank you, everybody. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod, and be sure to check out our live show on Locker Room every Saturday, bright and early at 8 a.m. Pacific. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.